Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word of the Lord. Good morning. So you guys are all staying cool this weekend, our awesome weather that we're having. My name's Dan, and uh, I'm on the leadership team here at, at Trailhead Church. Um, Steve, uh, we gave him a, a break this Sunday, and so um, I'm up at the bat, and uh, we'll be giving the message this morning. Um, and I'm excited because we're kicking off our series on, on the Psalms. And uh, the Psalms are, are awesome because uh, the psalmist um, we see is just honest and open and real about where they're at, what their attitudes uh, are towards God what they're wrestling with, struggling with. Um, and then we get to see how God uh, changes that, how he redeems them and how he changes uh, their hearts. Um, so it's very cool to, to jump into the Psalms. And this morning with Psalm 1, we're talking about uh, the blessed life. So what is it that we all want? What is it we hope for and, and what do we dream about? Um, as I was thinking through this, uh, I was remembering um, what question we like to, to ask kids. Uh, that question of, was it, what is it that you want to be when you grow up? And uh, I'm sure many of you can think back to when you were kids, and uh, the guys, um, maybe you wanted to be astronauts or baseball players, um, police officers, firefighters, wh- whatever it was. I'm sure you can remember that. Um, or ladies, maybe you wanted to be a, uh, a ballerina or princess. Um, I don't know, I'm sure there's more to that, but uh, I'm not as familiar with that category myself. Um, now, my mom loves to, uh, to tell stories about me when I was a kid, um, how I pretend to be Popeye or Superman or Luke Skywalker, um, and it's amazing what a five-year-old can do with a, uh, a towel cape or a uh, Mr. Potato Head pipe and a sailor hat. Um, but anyway, uh, no pictures this morning, so... Um, but, uh-oh, <laughs> mom said she has some. Um, so uh, as we get older, hopefully our aspirations change a little bit. Hopefully we start to get more reasonable with uh, what we begin to think about, with what our lives are going to look at, look like, what our careers will be. Um, we think about college, we think about jobs, and uh, the things that we think we're going to enjoy and the things that we think will make us happy, um, the jobs that will give us money to buy us the things that we need and the things that we want. Um, ladies, maybe you've, been, maybe you've been planning out your wedding or thinking about how many uh, kids you want to have. Um, and uh, I want to show you something here. Do you, any of you remember this? <laughs> this is a, a game I remember from elementary school called MASH, and uh, the acronym stands for Mansion, Apartment, Shack, or House. Um, and basically the idea is that you would have all these different categories, um, things that you wanted for the future. And uh, so you would write down the top four or five things that you wanted for each of the categories. And then someone would draw the little squiggly line there at the bottom, and uh, you tell them to stop, and then they'd count the spaces, basically as a way to generate a, a random number, so to speak. Um, and then so this person landed on six, and so they would go through the entire list and cross off the sixth item. Every time they stopped at six, they'd, they'd cross it off. And uh, so this person, I'm guessing a female, um, would have ended up... Uh, living in Paris as an art critic, married to Hugh Grant, and driving a Jeep. Um, Jeep doesn't seem to fit so well in there, but um, anyway, you get the idea. And uh, while this is all nonsense, we know that this is just, uh, just a game. It doesn't mean anything. Um, it does give us a glimpse into how um, we hope for things, how we want things, how we desire uh, to have the blessed life. Um, and as we become adults our expectations get a little more realistic um, as we try to figure out how to make the joy-filled life happen. So we all want to live life as prosperous and, and happy. Um, and we make decisions in order 
for that to, to happen, things that we think will lead us to that. Um, we pick careers, we pick schools with good programs, and um, we try to get the good jobs, we enter into relationships, um, we plan to build families, and the list goes, goes on and on. And we've talked about uh, dreaming here and long-term plans, um, but reality is, is that we each make daily decisions based on what we think is going to lead us to the blessed life, either directly, um, unintentionally, or intentionally. Um, we do what we think will make us happy. We make decisions about who or what we give our time to. Um, we make decisions on what we're going to spend our money on and what we're willing to, to work for and sacrifice for. And we believe those decisions will lead us to good things. Now, our passage in Psalm 1 speaks to two paths, two paths of living. We have the way of the wicked sinner scoffer and the way of the righteous. And the passage says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. Um, so what does, that, what does that mean exactly? What does it mean to fall into that category? Um, it means to order our lives or make decisions based on the wisdom um, of our society, the things that our culture and the people around us value. Um, it means to order our lives according to that. Maybe it's the good life equals owning something. Maybe it's the, uh, the four-bedroom house, the red Corvette, or the, the beachfront vacation home. Um, maybe it's the important job where if we get that job, uh, people will think we're important and we'll be blessed. Maybe it's a relationship, singles. Maybe it's about uh, having that spouse that thinks that you're God's gift to them. Um, how about this one, politics. Facebook gets really interesting uh, around this season, and uh, when people start posting about uh, politics and fruitless arguments, um, thinking that if only my candidate was elected or if only my policy was implemented, then life would be good. Then life would be uh, blessed, and uh, hopefully you don't stand in the way of that. So it gets interesting uh, when that happens. So where am I going with this? Uh, is it wrong to have the four-bedroom house? Is it wrong to try for the important job or to seek a spouse um, or to be involved in politics? No. No, none of those things are intrinsically uh, wrong. The problem is, is when we put those things first. Uh, deeper than that, the problem is what's at the center of those desires? What's at the center of our desires? See, the wicked person that's described here puts himself or he puts a created thing uh, at the center of that. We want to be the center of our own universes. Um, we want to be our own God and have our own kingdoms. Uh, I want stuff because of what it can do for me. Um, I want to be smart and powerful so that I can get my way. Uh, and we're prone to sin based on what our hearts desire. Okay, so let's stop talking uh, generalizations here. Um, where, is, uh, where is Dan Free guilty of this? So for the, uh, the past 10 years, I uh, have worked in Chesterfield, Missouri, way out in West County, and lived in Illinois. Um, so that means I get the pleasure of driving uh, 45 minutes to work every morning. Um, I'm convinced that one of the greatest venues for seeing the depravity of humankind is on our highways. And uh, I also know that, you know, I'm pretty sure um, I'm the best driver out there, the most courteous. Um, you know, I don't understand why all these other people are there. It's not like they pay taxes or anything. Yeah, so I want, part of my daily blessed life is having a short commute to work and uh, me doing all the right things and seeing all the people around me that don't do those things. You know, I use my blinker. Um, I don't stay in the left lane when I'm, I'm not going to pass. I let people merge. Um, I don't try to get the one car position in front when there's just, you see, it's like a parking lot. Um, or I scoot over, you know, when there's someone on the side of the road or maybe a, a police officer's pulled someone over. Um, you get amen, Phil? Is that? <laughs> yeah. Now, what's at the center of that? 
What's at the center of that in my view in that? The center is I'm putting myself at the center. I'm putting my desires, um, and it makes me angry when I see people make it more complicated for me. I see people don't drive the way I do, and that it inconveniences me. Um, let's face it, I'm in the center of that. It affects my mood, and it affects how I drive. Um, I'll speed up or slow down so that you can't cut me off, and uh, I'll get ornery when I'm doing that. Um, but let's face it, do I know the other person's circumstance? Do I know why maybe they're in a hurry? Do I know why they, they drive like that? No. Am I really the best driver out there? Do I do all of those things I mentioned every time? No. No. But the problem is, is that in my pride and my self-righteousness, I think that everybody should drive the way that I do. Um, but what benefit is that? Am I going to change anybody's driving habits? Um, no. No. It just leaves me um, angry, and I respond by being less loving, less prayerful, and less joyful. Uh, so my question to you this morning is, what, what makes you angry when you don't get your way? Where do maybe other people or circumstances cause you to not be happy? And what circumstances keep you from blessing? James 4 says this. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your passions. James is is showing us um, how we can put things other than God at the center of our desires, in the center of our hearts, and then ask for the wrong things based on our own desires and not having God at the center. So my traffic example might sound pretty petty, Uh, compared to some of my other sins, but it illustrates how I respond when I put myself at the center. Um, Anger, self-righteousness, maybe even revenge, um, selfishness, uh, the list goes on. See, the things that we place at the center of our hearts um, lead us to action or behaviors. Thomas Cranmer, uh, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury at the time of King Henry VIII, uh, he said it this way. He says, What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. Basically, Cranmer is saying here that, uh, that our mind and our actions are subject uh, to what our hearts desire. And I find this such an interesting quote because Thomas Cranmer was actually um, a key figure in King Henry VIII's uh, marriage annulment, his marriage to his first wife. Um, which allowed him to, to leave her and to marry Anne Boleyn. Um, you see, the king, he loved himself, uh, he loved women, and he wanted a male heir. And so what was at the center of his heart affected his actions. He chose to be with Anne Boleyn so that he could fill, fulfill his desires, and he figured out a way to justify it. He justified it. And you know the rest of the story that, uh, in that instance, King Henry got his way. Um, But we know his deepest desires uh, weren't ultimately fulfilled. And uh, we also know that it didn't work out so well for uh, for Anne Boleyn either. Um, So what happens when we're not living the blessed life? What do we tell ourselves when we aren't aren't happy? Um, Maybe we blame ourselves. Maybe we tell ourselves if I was better at this thing, maybe if I was more disciplined, maybe if I was... Uh, more attractive or skinnier, if I was smarter. Or maybe we blame others. Say, if that person wasn't that way, or so egotistical, rude. Um, Maybe if that person, in my case, would get off the road, things would be better. Um, Or maybe it's if my circumstance would change, it would be better. It doesn't sound very restful, does it, when we tell ourselves those messages? doesn't sound very restful. Um, fortunately, God offers us a better way. Verse 2 in our passage says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. See, the psalmist here is, is making it kind of easy for us, and he's telling us, he's telling us where is true joy, where is true, uh, where is true delight, where can blessing be found? 
Um, now here he says, in the law of the Lord. Law. So does he mean, does he mean rules? Um, basically, the only part of the Bible they had at that time uh, was the five books of Moses, which contained a lot of laws, contained a lot of rules uh, and instructions. Um, so does, does the psalmist mean that? Is that where he's going? Um, does he mean the Mosaic law? Well, not, not exactly. See, this is about more than, than rules. This is about more uh, than performance. Um, notice that the passage doesn't read, blessed is the man that keeps the law of the Lord. It says, blessed is the man that delights in it. It's not about obedience. It's not about performance. Uh, see, the blessed man delights in the right things. See, this is about God. This is about a shift of center. Of instead of having ourselves at the center, or something else, some created thing at the center, we put God at the center. The blessed man is no longer putting himself there. He places God at the center. See, delight, delight is a hard issue. Delight is an expression of the things that we value, the things that we cherish, uh, the things that we want. Um, and delight will lead us to sacrifice. And we sacrifice because of joy. We believe those things will give us joy. Um, and you all know what I'm talking about. Those of you that uh, remember sacrificing sleep in order to maybe stay up a little bit longer and talk to that special someone, um, or sacrificing money to buy that gift for someone, or that meal. Uh, parents, you do this daily, sacrificing for your children um, because you love them, because you, you enjoy them and you delight in them. See, delight changes our perspective. It moves us away from duty and obligation, and it moves us to devotion. That's what the psalmist is talking about here, delighting in the law of the Lord. It's about devotion, not duty. So let me ask you this. Do you ever feel like reading your Bible is, uh, do you ever feel like it's a chore? Do you ever feel like it's a duty? Like it's some obligation that you have to do daily? Or maybe you have to read for a certain number of minutes? Or you have to read a certain length of, of text? Uh, and that if you, don't, if you don't do that, then God is, is disappointed with you. Or maybe if you haven't done that in a while, you think it's, it's, tar- it's harder to get back into it um, because you think God is disappointed with you. So I have two words for you this morning, if you can identify with that, if you say that's you. And uh, those two words are stop it. Okay, the, stop it. See, that's not helpful. That's not helpful for us, and it's not the gospel. The gospel says that God welcomes us into his presence regardless of the works that we do. In fact, our works are worthless in regards to whether or not we're approved by God. So you're approved by God because of Christ, not because of how much we read our Bibles. So every time that you think you have something to do, some way that you have to earn God's favor working for his approval, Essentially, what we say in that is that Christ's sacrifice wasn't enough. That there's more that we have to do. There's more that we have to do for God's approval. And that's not true, because you see, if we're believers, if we believe God is who he says he is, and we believe Christ died for us, um, it's not God's delight in us that's on the line here. What's on the line is our delight in God. We choose to delight in other things other than God. And God says, no, I want you to delight, I want you to delight in me. And God wants us to experience the blessed life. This is about delighting in God because the gospel has freed us to do that. We can. We can. Okay, so it sounds simple, right? So let's just believe that we're free to delight in God. Let's just do that, and uh, it'll be good. How's that, how's that working for you? Uh, it's not, uh, not exactly easy, is it? Because um, we realize that in our fallen world, in our broken world, in our own brokenness, that even when we believe in God, we struggle to daily uh, find our joy in Him and to put Him at the center of our lives. Um, so how do we get there? How do we change our heart's desires. 
Unfortunately, we can't really change our hearts. As much as we'd like to, we can't. Um, but the cool thing is, is that God can. And he uses his word to do that. The psalmist says to delight in and meditate on God and his word. Um, so what part does scripture play in that? See, scripture informs us of who God is, informs us that he is all that is delightful. That God uses his truth and scripture to inform us of who he is, to see his true character and to believe. It's about who he is, it's about what he does, and it's about what he's done for us. The more we dig into scripture, the more we can clearly see his power, his love, his justice, his mercy, and his grace. And the Psalms are full of this imagery of God's character and what he's done for us. So where does the gospel fit in to this? See, the law reveals how badly broken we are, that God is holy, and that we're not, um, not even close. Um, But when we immerse ourselves in these stories, when we immerse ourselves in the Psalms and in other scripture, um, we can identify with the characters there. We can identify with their sins, their failures, their struggles. Um, We can see how we're like the Israelites when they were in the desert, um, making their own idols, complaining and whining, not believing that God was with them and not believing that God would provide for what they have need of, not believing that God will give us our daily bread and meet our daily needs. But then we also get to see how God is patient. We get to see how God is faithful and how he continually rescues us. So God delights in us not because we obey his rules, but instead because of Christ. The bad news is is, is that we can't measure up. The good news is, is that we don't have to. We can know that he loves us, and that releases our delight in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 reads, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, the Bible, the Bible is about, um, it's about Christ and his redemptive story of rescuing us from our sin. When we recognize that we are already accepted by God, um, and are made holy because of Christ, we're able to move from trying to conform to being transformed, able to move from, from duty to devotion. See, the blessed man in Psalm 1 gets this. Uh, the more we immerse ourselves in Scripture, the more we come to know ourselves, our sin and our brokenness. The more we see our sin and our brokenness, the more we can be amazed at how much God loves us and how faithful he is. Uh, The blessed man is overwhelmed by this. Uh, His right behavior is an outpouring of his heart, wanting to experience more of God. This is the place where transformation happens. Um, This is that the more we enjoy God, the more he transforms us. And the more he transforms us, the more we get to enjoy God. So how how do we foster this? How do we foster this transformation? How do we make it happen? Um, Some of you may have already been thinking about how you need to read your Bible more, um, that this is a formula, and if you just plug in the right variables, uh, then it'll work, Um, that you have to get more Scripture into your brain. Uh, If you do more, if you do better at this habit of of reading, then you'll know more and be blessed. Well, it it doesn't exactly work like that. Um, See, you can know a lot of Scripture and not be transformed. So where am I going? Where am I going with this? Um, I just told you that part of transformation is, is reading Scripture, and that would foster heart change and transform our desires. Um, see, it can. It can. That time we spend in the Word can change us, and often it does. But it's not just about how much Scripture we read. It's about how we read it. It's about discovering the God that's in the Scripture. Quaker Madame Guyon, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, wrote this. Um, If you read quickly, it will benefit you little. You will be like a bee that merely skims the surface of a flower. Instead, you must become as the bee who penetrates into the depths of the flower. You plunge deeply within to remove 
its deepest nectar. See, the cool part is that as we plunge deep, the scriptures penetrate us. Uh, another quote in your bulletin says this from John Ortberg. It says, the goal is not for us to get through the scripture. The goal is to get the scriptures through us. So let me ask you this morning, are you uh, maybe tired of reading scripture and walking away uh, unaffected by the words, maybe not connected uh, to what you just read? Uh, My hope for you is that the scriptures would be alive for you, that you'll see the God in them, that you'll sense his presence and grow in your love for him and his word. Um, So today I just want to share one practical method uh, that we can do that. Um, This was a method I discovered from uh, George Mueller, who was a Christian evangelist and orphanage director uh, in England uh, in the 1800s. This is how he read scripture. Um, Of course, it's not the only method. Uh, There are lots out there, but this is one that I know I've uh, come to appreciate. So he says this. He says, first, um, pray. Before you start reading, pray and ask God to reveal himself in it. The Holy Spirit will will change our hearts uh, and transform us. Um, Next, as you pray, um, begin to ask yourself some questions. Um, And I'm going to show those in just a second. Ask yourself some questions as you read. Praying, making it a conversation, not just a... Um, an exercise and something you have to do. The first is confession. So what sin is this passage revealing uh, in my heart? What am I guilty of? What sin is described here um, or demonstrated by the people in the passage? Uh, Where am I failing to believe the gospel or believe in who God says he is? And these are in no particular order, by the way. Um, The next is supplication. And this is just another way to say um, we have needs and we need God to help us in those. Um, it's about, what, so what does this passage remind us of what we have need of? What are our true needs? Where do we need God to give us strength, our faith, increase our faith, provide healing? Um, so ask him as you're reading. Ask him for the things that you recognize you have need, need of. Thirdly, Intercession. So what might this passage lead me um, to pray for others? It might be praying for other supplication. It may be praying that they would come to know Christ or to have their needs met. It may be praying for our church and praying that we live out in the reality of the gospel, sharing that with others, being on mission. And then lastly, uh, thanksgiving. So what is it? What does the scripture remind me of that I can be thankful for? Where do I see the gospel Where do I see God's character where he has extended me grace? Where do I recognize that I have forgiveness and that God is faithful in his love and in his provision? Um, And that ultimately leads us to delight. So as you read, what is it that you realize you're thankful for? And if you're not, even making that part of the confession. Um, So it's a conversation. It's about going to God as you read and seeing how the scripture applies to us and to our hearts. So those questions can help us in allowing the scriptures to penetrate us and for God uh, to change our hearts. Now the psalmist also tells us uh, that the blessed man meditates on God's word day and night. Uh, What does that mean? What does it mean to to meditate? Uh, So we meditate often on the things that we delight in. Um, Another way to ask this is, what what do you daydream about? What do you think about before you go to bed? when you have breaks where you're not doing something, or when you first wake up in the morning? What is it the, what's the thing that you go to? Um, what's the first thing on your mind? So how do we take that and make God the center of that, make him the focus? Um, so let me ask it this way, something a little bit different. Um, let me ask you this. Where do you see God and the people and the things around you? Where do you see God in that? Um, I want to share a picture with you here. Uh, This picture was taken about a year ago. Um, I was in uh, Breckenridge, Colorado with some friends, and this was the the balcony from our uh, hotel room. Um, And uh, I love mountains. I'm fascinated by them. Um, If I was to go through and do the MASH game now, I'm pretty sure at least three of the four locations on my list would would be near uh, mountains. Um, I'm fascinated by them. Um, now, while I was there, 
Uh, I am, so I'm not a morning person at all. It's a struggle. I, I love sleeping, <laughs> I'll admit it. Um, so I'm not a morning person. I'm just not wired uh, that way. Um, it's hard for me to get up. But while I was there, I would get up, try to get up before everyone else and go out on this balcony and sit there and read and, and drink my coffee. I think it was almost a competition between some of us so who could get out there and get the, get the good spot first. Um, but anyway, I would go out there and be able to read and, and pray um, and look at this awesome scenery that it was easy to see God in that. Um, it, was, it was beautiful and just be in awe of his, his creation. And God spoke to me in some awesome ways while I was there. It was a great time of uh, having a few minutes of solitude. And uh, honestly, God spoke to my heart in some life-changing ways. Um, And it was awesome. And I was just thinking a few weeks ago, um, I wish I could go back there. I wish I could go back to that place and spend that time um, with God again. Spend time with Him there. And as I thought about that, um, see, I realized something. Uh, I realized it wasn't about the scenery, as beautiful as it was. Um, it was about that time with God. It was about experiencing Him. And I felt like He reminded me that I don't have to go to a place like that to experience Him. I can, and it's awesome. If you get the opportunity, do it. Um, but the reality is that we don't often have big chunks of time that we can devote to solitude. Um, We don't always have access to places like that. Um, But we don't have to go there to see God. We don't have to go there uh, to hear from him. He wants us to see him everywhere. Everywhere. Poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote this. She said, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush a fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. See, God invites us to delight in him um, by seeing him in nature and the people around us. So is there anyone in your life that uh, you know has shown you, extended you grace and been patient with you when you didn't deserve it? Do you see God in that? Um, do you see when you maybe watch a movie or, hear, or read a good story? Do you see the gospel parallels of redemption? Do you see the parallels when there's the underdog emerging victorious? Or do you see the awesomeness of God's creation uh, when a storm comes through, um, as many of us have been praying for lately, um, when a storm comes through, or when you just get a chance to go outside? He's everywhere. We just have to turn our attention to him. Now, what happens when we begin to delight in God? What is the result of the transformation uh, that happens, that comes with delighting in God? The psalmist tells us that, that he's like a tree planted by streams of water that bears fruit in the season and his leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. See, the streams here are symbolic of a source of life symbolic of our relationship with God. That even in the hard and even in the dry seasons, uh, the tree still has a source, and it still bears fruit. So what fruit, what seasons am I, am I talking about here? Um, Galatians 5.22 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So this is about bearing the fruit of patience in the midst of suffering, enduring pain, knowing that God is with us in it. It's about having faith in the times of trial. We're challenged on whether or not we believe that God is good and that he's still with us. Uh, It's about celebrating and giving God thanks in the good times and when things aren't so good. Um, Verse says that in all that he does, he prospers. See, this isn't about health and wealth. This is about strength and and thriving spiritually. This is about how Paul in Philippians 4 said this, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, Paul, we know Paul suffered. He was thrown in prison. He was beaten. He faced some hardship. Um, But Paul didn't wither in that. He didn't wither in the dry season. He bore fruit uh, in the midst of it. Um, And let me ask you this. Who's the fruit for? The fruit of the tree, who's it for? Is it for the tree? No. See, the fruit is for others. The fruit is for those, is to bring nourishment to those that would be near it. Do you know people like that? Do you know people that can encourage you when you're around them? People that point you to Christ and to His grace? They're people filled with true joy and contentment. Um, So I want to share a a picture with you this morning. Um, This is a picture of, uh, of my dad. Um, I'm thankful that I was blessed with, uh, with an awesome dad. He was a devoted uh, and awesome father, husband. Uh, he loved God. He was a deacon uh, in the church I grew up in. Um, see, in August 2005, my dad was, was diagnosed with cancer. And um, it was diagnosed late that, so that by the time it was discovered, basically none of the treatments um, were thought to be successful. Um, there's nothing really that, that could be done. Um, and some of the next three months were some of the hardest that, that my family uh, had ever experienced. Um, we prayed desperately for my dad, knowing that God could heal him, believing that God could. But we didn't see any physical change, and uh, my dad grew worse. So in November of that same year, um, my dad passed away. Uh, I miss him dearly. I wish he could still be with us. Um, but I always knew that my dad's faith was real. My dad, my dad lived it. Uh, I saw it. Um, but I saw it even more clearly those final three months. You see, friends from the church would come over, and they would come over uh, recognizing the gravity of the situation, um, the, how hard it was, and they would come over to, to pray with and encourage um, my dad. And the thing that was so awesome about that is I was thankful how the church family rallied around us. Um, But the thing that was awesome about that is that it would end up that my dad would be praying for them and encouraging them, um, talking about God's goodness. They would leave encouraged by my father. Um, Now, I'll never forget something he said to us one day uh, during those three months. He, he told us that he had prayed, and he said, um, he said, God, why, why me? Why do, I have to, why do I have to go through this? And he said that God just very simply replied to him. And he said, why not you? Why not you? And at first pass, that might sound very harsh. It might sound very cruel. It might be hard to see God's love in that and why God would respond to him like that. Um, But see, my dad didn't hear it that way. That's not how my dad saw it. He saw it as an opportunity to be humble and to trust that God knew what he was doing, that God still loved him, that God was still with him, and that his illness wasn't some form of punishment for some past sin. Um, See, my dad submitted to that. In the midst of hardship, he responded um, by praying with us and talking about God's goodness. How does that happen? How does somebody do that? In the midst of that kind of hardship, talk about God's goodness. So your heart can't do that. You can't go there unless your heart's been transformed by the gospel. See, my dad was a tree planted by the streams of water, and in his season of hardship, he bore fruit. He bore fruit because he delighted in God. Fortunately, those that don't delight in God, they're not like that. Um, They are never content, continuing to seek life and temporary things and jobs, relationships, possessions. Um, And none of those things give life. None of those things give us life. Our passage says, the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. See, the chaff here is symbolic of being 
dead, without substance, uh, without character. A few weeks ago uh, in our Ruth series, um, we talked about uh, the chaff and the winnowing process, how the worker would take the harvested grain and throw it into the air, and the wind would blow away the chaff, and the good seed would fall uh, back into the pile. The wind would blow away the unwanted part. Um, see, the chaff was, was worthless. It was uh, unwanted by the farmer. Have you ever tried to eat chaff? Have you ever tried to eat it? So Steve uh, Parker and I, um, we try to meet weekly for breakfast. And uh, we meet at, at Denny's. Um, it's a central, good central location for us. And uh, you want to know what all three of us order at Denny's? Of all things, we order oatmeal. Yeah, oatmeal. Our waitress, um, we've gotten to know the waitress there. And uh, she comes up and says, are you, are you ready for your boring oatmeal? And uh, all three of us, of course, say, say yes, bring it on. Um, so we get oatmeal. And now it's rare, but every once in a while, you know what we find in our oatmeal? Um, now, you might be able to answer that with lots, lots of things, uh, but you know where I'm going with this. Uh, occasionally, I'll get chaff in my oatmeal, and there's no taste to it. You can't chew it. Um, basically, you're just left to, to spit it out because there's no benefit um, in eating it. And when our delight isn't in God, uh, we're like the chaff, not bringing benefit to those, those around us. Now, as our passage concludes, um, I want you to notice the direction the psalmist takes us. It says, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. See, the psalmist here is directing us to eternity. He's directing us to forever. And understanding this can affect our daily lives. It can affect our daily decisions. Um, So what do I mean? See, pleasures apart from God are temporary. When God's not at the center and we're working hard for something or delighting in something else, it's temporary. Created things will pass away, possessions will be destroyed, and we eventually have to say goodbye to uh, those in our relationships. Um, Those that seek delight apart from God aren't able to spend eternity with him. God in his justice uh, hands them over to what they want most, and that's life apart from him. Um, And that's sobering. And this isn't intended to be a a message on a hell, um, but what I want you to get from this is to consider the people around you. How are we doing with with mission? Here's a sobering thought from C.S. Lewis. He says, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours is the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Do you ever think about your neighbor, your waiter, waitress, your coworker? Do you ever think about them being immortal? Immortal horrors are everlasting splendors. Um, that ups the weightiness of being missional. Huh? So I want to encourage you in this because we have the opportunity uh, to bear fruit, to invite them into the real life, the blessed life. Um, and if we don't have a burden for that, if we're not affected by that, then we need to ask God to grant us repentance and that he would change our hearts so that we can love our neighbors better. Because those that delight in God get life. And God gives us what we want most. Psalm 37.4 reads this. It says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you know what that means? Now, I've heard this misused before. Um, interpreted as God will give us the things that we want if we put him first, Um, that he'll make us healthy, wealthy, and wise. Now, what I believe God is telling us here 
is that if we delight in him, what will we get? More of him. He'll give us more of the very thing that we delight in. God will give us more of what we want most. John Piper said it this way. He said, when God loves us by making himself our end, it is a greater love than if he made us his end. So if God really is where true joy is found, if he's the epitome of all that is good, then the best way that he could possibly love us would be to make himself the center of our lives. And not only will he do that, but the psalmist tells us that God knows us. And this, this isn't a word, no, um, in regards to just information. It says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. This no means intimacy. It means to care for. That God will care for us. So as I was preparing uh, this message um, I was thinking about what illustrations that I was going to use, what I was going to work into the message. Um, I prayed that God would help me to identify with it, um, to understand it better. And um, at the time, I, wasn't, I didn't feel like I was getting very far with it. Um, it was kind of a struggle uh, with the illustration piece. Now, at the same time, I was also praying for something that I thought uh, was somewhat... Uh, unrelated. Um, you see, I have four uh, dogwood trees in my yard. Um, they're beautiful trees that look awesome when they bloom. Uh, it was kind of cool that if I zoomed in on the Google Earth image of my, my home, uh, it was actually taken in the springtime, and so I could see these big four white trees uh, in my yard. Um, they're pretty cool. And what stinks about my four trees is that all four of them are, are dying. They're all dying. Um, so I have a picture uh, I want to share. Um, so the picture on the right shows that, that they're infested with the tree-boring insect. That the, the insect gets in, you can see a couple of the holes there. Um, but the insects destroy all of the soft tissue that's underneath the bark, all of the tissue that carries the nutrients and the water um, through the rest of the, the tree. And so as a result, the leaves are, are withering and the trees... Uh, you can see a few branches there on the left, maybe, um, that, uh, that have died. And so I've taken a little extra time. I've went and, I went and bought some, uh, some pesticide at Lowe's that I could put on these trees. And uh, I've taken extra care to, to water them uh, in this awesome weather that we're having. And so I've, I've done some additional things in order, in order to care for these trees. Um, so the truth is, is I really like these trees, and uh, I don't want them to die. And this may sound silly, I know, but yeah, I prayed for my trees. Um, so this went on for about three or four days. Uh, <laughs> I was praying about this message with a tree in it, and then unrelated, praying for my trees. And uh, yeah, how did I miss that one? Um, but eventually it clicked. Eventually it clicked, and I uh, connected the dots. See, the truth is I care about these trees, and not in the same way that I would care about another person or even a pet. Um, It's different than that, way different. Um, I'm not going to be devastated if these trees die, uh, but I do care that they live. I would like for them to still be there. Uh, Then I thought about this. How much more does God care about me, exponentially more, than I cared about these trees? This is another moment where God was revealing himself to me through creation, right in my own backyard. How much more does God care about those that he calls his children? How much more is he willing to give us what we have need of? So do you believe that? Do you believe that he cares for us? Um, and I know it can be hard to think that putting our, our joy in something else and submitting our desires would actually bring us greater joy. Uh, it's a radical idea because the message that we often hear is um, follow your heart, do what's best for you, uh, whatever makes you happy, uh, do that. Um, and part of the problem is, is let's face it, we live in a, in a broken world um, where we're distrustful and we're skeptical of anyone that says that they know what's best for us. Uh, I mean, look around. Um, people hurt us. 
And the response of our own brokenness and sin is that we want to control, we want to rule and decide what's best for ourselves, and we want to be the in focus of our delight. God wants us to put himself at the center of our delight instead so that we can be like the prospering tree and not like the chaff that's dead. The offer is for us to find true joy and delight and to find it in him. We can either delight in temporary things and be like the chaff, or we can delight in God. Now, some of you might have been uh, convicted this morning convicted about what it is you're putting your delight in, um, where you're not putting your delight in God. You've been convicted about um, how you're reading your Bible. Do you know why God convicts you of that? Why he convicts us? It's not so that we'll try harder and do better. It's not about that. God is convicting us because he loves us, And he wants us to experience true joy. We can take joy in that, that God is caring for us and wanting us to see where true joy is at. Paul Tripp said it this way, that the disappointment of misplaced hope points us to where true hope lies. We can see in the things around us when we're disappointed, when we're frustrated. Remember that this life is temporary and there's more and that God wants us to know that. There may be um, people here this morning that you're just going through a rough time right now. Maybe you're struggling with something, with the circumstances. Maybe it's a job situation, uh, a relationship, family. Um, Things are just hard. And it would be nice, it would be the blessed life if God would just change that. If God would just reach down and in his power, change it. But what if God is saying, I want you to bear fruit. I want you to bear fruit in that difficult circumstance. I want you to dig your roots down deeper and experience my presence to know who I am and to know that I will be there with you in the midst of it, that you are planted by the streams of water. What if God, if that's what God is challenging us? Um, In our conviction, when he convicts us, he's showing us love. He's showing us where true delight is. And we should be humbled and we should repent but not stop there. Recognizing that God is inviting us to relationship with him. He's rescuing us, showing us that he is faithful even when we're faithless. So what do you hear him saying to you this morning? Um, Where is he calling you to joy? Are you willing to examine your heart this morning, asking God to grant you faith? Or you don't believe that he's good? The invitation this morning is to know the blessed life, to know our Heavenly Father, and to know joy, knowing that he wants us to be prospering trees, bearing fruit, finding the blessed life, and to not be like the chaff. And we have that opportunity because of the gospel, because Christ has reconciled us.